0: To be content. What does it mean to be content? Does anyone here have a corner on the market of being content? Anyone here have a market on the corner of being discontent? Patrick's honest. Everyone else is lying this morning. If you don't have a copy of Aesop's Fables, get it. It's fascinating. The introduction is written by Spurgeon in this one, talking up Aesop's fables. I want to start with this little one? It's just a page. The Ass and the Lapdog, an ass being a donkey. There was once a man who had an ass and a lapdog. The ass was housed in the stable with plenty of oats and hay to eat, and was as well off as an ass could be. The little dog was made a great pet of by his master, who fondled him and often let him lie in his lap. And if he went out to dinner, he would bring back a titbit or two to give him when he ran to meet him on his return. The ass had, it is true, a good deal of work to do, Carding or grinding the corn or carrying the burdens of the farm. And ere long he became very jealous, contrasting his own life of labor with the ease and idleness of the lapdog. You see where this is building up to. At last one day he broke his halter and frisking into the house, just as his master sat down to dinner. He pranced and capered about, mimicking the frolics of the little favorite, upsetting the table and smashing the crockery with his clumsy efforts. Not content with that, he even tried to jump on his master's lap, as he had so often seen the dog allowed to do. At that, the servants, seeing the danger their master was in, belabored the silly ass with sticks and cudgels and drove him back to his stable half-dead with his beating. And then there's a moral at the end of every, every fable here. Quote, alas, he cried, all this I have brought on myself. Why could I not be satisfied with my natural and honorable position without wishing to imitate the ridiculous antics of that useless little lapdog? So back to my first question, contentment. We're a discontent people. And I compare myself with you, and I compare myself with this guy over here. But I'm not you, and I'm not that guy over there. God's made me me, and he's given me what he's given me. And as we compare ourselves and want to be this other individual and have what he has or have what she has, we grow discontent. We are the ass in this fable. And we're the Israelites in the chap- chapter that we're going to read this morning. So turn with me to Numbers chapter 14. Discontentment is sin. And unbelief is sin. And it's punished. So, as we read, think about yourself. Think through the details of your life. Numbers 14, let me bring us up to speed. What's happened before this? Well, God's people were in slavery in Egypt, making bricks every day. Big bricks, they're in the mud. They've got the straw. Eventually, they had to get their own straw, making bricks. And what are you going to do tomorrow? You're going to be making bricks again. And the day after that, your children are going to be doing the same, their children. Well, this went on for 400 years. It was miserable. The hot Egyptian sun beating down on them. Were the Israelites content with that? Very discontent with that. So they were discontent in slavery in Egypt. So all they had to do was be brought out, and then they'd be content. Right? If only their circumstances were different. The scenery was different. They had a different boss. So the Lord, after 400 years of slavery, he brings them out. He's given them the Ten Commandments at Sinai, and they're getting closer to the promised land. It's exciting. They have every reason to be content and joyful. Every reason. I mean, think about all that slavery and then immediately following. Those first days and weeks out of Egypt had to have been the happiest days probably a group of people's ever had. They're coming up to the promised land, so they send spies up to the promised land. And a little before chapter 14, the spies go up. Do you remember what happens? They bring back some fruit. This is a good sign. There's some, fr- there's some food up there. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. They spend a few words on that. And then what do they say? We can't take it. There are giants up there. The Nephilim are up there. Amorites, Jebusites, Canaanites. We cannot take it. This land swallows its people up. Are you discontent right now? We're discontent about particular things. What do we think it is that I need, that I don't have, I need my wife to be a certain way, or I need this for my kids, or I need a certain item that will make us content. It's not going to solve and make us content like that. We're the problem. We're the discontent ones. So the spies talk about the fruit, the milk, and honey but they're just blinded by the negatives of the situation. They can't even think of the fruit. They can't even think of the milk and honey. Besides the fact this is the promised land that God's bringing them into, they're just blinded by all the negatives. I mean, Eeyore doesn't have anything on these guys. So, beginning with verse 1, I'm going to be going in and out, so you guys can stay seated. Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt! Or would that we have died in this wilderness! Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. They are stark raving mad. The people rebel and cry, like a bunch of crybabies actually asking to be enslaved and die rather than enter the promised land that God has given them. There's no fear of God in their eyes. And notice how they just, they just bold face lie. I mean, it's ridiculous what they say. They lie so that they can avoid doing what they've been commanded to do. It is going to be work going into the promised land. They do have to wipe the people out before them. But God's already told them he's given it to them. It's theirs for the taking. But they say, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Yep, that's why God brought you out of Egypt. To come out here and just slaughter you in the wilderness. It wasn't that he redeemed you out of slavery. It wasn't his unending kindness and love to you when you cried out to him when you were in slavery. Nope, he's bringing you out to slaughter you out here. That's right. Do we lie about the things God has given us? How quickly we forget his promises. Woe is me! Why would you give this to me, God? Or why didn't you give this to me? The Lord had promised them. And when the Lord promises, he always makes good on his promise. He told them they're going into a land flowing with milk and honey. It doesn't sound very appetizing to us, because we go down to the supermarket, we get milk and honey, no problem. Well, it wasn't very plentiful in Egypt. Or in this desert where they were at, but in the promised land it was fruit, milk, honey. And all they can say is eh, no. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to the place where we were miserable slaves. I mean, it was horrible. But they're even more bold. Then they accuse God that He's leading them to Canaan in order to destroy them, their wives, and their children. It's a good land. It's the promised land. And they blame God. What God's given you is good. You have the boss he's given you. Don't keep a record of his faults. Be content. Unbelief does lead to insanity. You don't believe God that he's good to you, so you do foolish things, and you say foolish things. That's why the Proverbs begin, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. If we don't begin there, then we won't do what he's commanded us to do, the simple commandments. Unbelief is merely self-infatuation. Unbelief is hearing, thus says the Lord, and responding, eh, boring, I'll make my own way. How can I live for myself? How can I build my own kingdom right now? Discontentment is unbelief. It's not believing that God is good forgetting how good he has been to you. The book of Numbers may as well be called the book of complaining and grumbling. Could be another title for it. God's people are blessed beyond their wildest imaginations. They receive all the blessings they don't deserve, and they're repeatedly complaining, murmuring, grumbling, anyone like that in here complaining and grumbling at least up here right we are so discontent we have everything we're rich fat and sassy americans which is part of the part of the problem anyone spent a week in a second or third world country anyone here Kristen, Rob, Kate? So you're planning to move move there next year? We got other plans? In this room, friends, we are to be a content people. We're Christians. We're to be content with all the things that he's given us, all the things he will give us. Notice the next time you begin to complain and stop. Why are you complaining? Do you remember what you deserve? We deserve judgment and hellfire because of our sins. So if we've got anything above that, we're doing really well. Be thankful and stop complaining. Be thankful for the husband he's given you, the wife he's given you, the roommates, the job. The children, the school, the church, the community. Or if he hasn't given you these things. The oxygen in our lungs. Being content is evangelistic. People see you like, why are you so joyful? I don't understand you. I know some of the troubles in your life. Why are you so joyful? Well, I'm just, I have a joyful personality. No, it's because God has given me every reason to be joyful. Unbelief is sin, and it's punished. You think your unbelief is a small deal, but unbelief leads to other sins. Discontentment leads to other sins. Unbelief and rebellion was a death sentence for God's people here. They wandered for another 40 years in the wilderness, and they did not enter the promised land. Okay, I've given it to you. You rejected it, so you're not going to have it. This was a major event in Israel's history. And sometimes God gives illness. Sometimes he gives death as a punishment for sin. You remember some examples in Scripture? Ananias and Sapphira. Paul warns, every month we have the Lord's Supper. He who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. and In other, in other words, are dead. let's continue here in Numbers. So picking up in verse 5. So the people are crying. What happens? Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation. So y'all are throwing a fit, fall on their faces down here, right? right? Fall on their faces. Why did they do that? Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they'll be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Caleb, fear God. These men feared God when the congregation did not. The rest of the people just feared the pathetic men up in Canaan. The congregation of Israel, they're complaining, they're crying, they're rebelling. And if that wasn't enough, after Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb plead with them, what did the people do? They say, okay. We see your point. We were wrong. It is a good land. It does have fruit, milk, and honey, so let's go up and take it. We were wrong. It's the hardest thing for us. We make it hard when we're in the wrong, in our discontentment, to go and confess that and then change your ways and be content. How often do you dig your stubborn heels in and just get plunged down further and further into that sin? They don't say, yeah, I see your point. They're not humble. They don't take orders from their leaders. They hate them. The congregation says to pick up stones, and stone their leaders to death. That is precisely when the Lord had had enough. Verse 10. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. Put yourself in this scene. Have you ever seen the glory of the Lord appear in the tent of meeting? It would have been terrifying. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me, and how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. So the Lord is ready to just wipe them out. I've had enough. Save a few. The Lord had destroyed mankind save a few before this, Noah and his family. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's the race of man. We got to chapter 6 after creation. And all the thoughts and intentions of the heart, only evil continually. So the Lord blots them out, but Noah found favor in God's sight. We're no better than these Israelites who complained to God. Had we been in their shoes walking through the desert, we would have done the same thing. 2 Timothy writes, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But avoid worldly and empty chatter. It will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. I was at uh, Bob's house. Everyone here knows Bob. Lived in Bob's house, 06 to 08. And when you have a bunch of roommates who are guys, who are slobs, it's difficult. And so one morning, I was washing the dishes in the kitchen. I was on shift with Bob. I was doing my job. I was on, on shift, and you do what Bob tells you to do. So I'm washing the dishes and just complaining about the guys who don't do their job. You know, how hard is it to put a dish in the dishwasher? And I'm just going on, just complaining, moaning. Well, Lucas is in the living room, Lucas weeks, and he had had enough. So he comes into the kitchen, he said, "Paul, I, I, I'm fond of telling him this story. He says, "I always bring it up, but Lucas loved me." And he said, "Paul, you need to shut up. I've heard you do nothing but piss and moan in here. For the last 20 minutes, about the dishes, just wash the dishes and do your job. I'm looking at him like, and then he got all soft and he's like, Are you okay? He gives me a hug. It was helpful. That's why I tell the story. Verse 13. The Lord is ready to destroy the people. So what does Moses do? Yep, they deserved it. They had it coming. So wipe them out. And set me up, set my family up, because I'm better than all these other people anyway. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For by your strength you bought up this people from their midst. And they'll tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They've heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. You, Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them. You go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night. If you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, Because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath. That's why he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now, I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. It's good to remind yourself in prayers, to just pray to God what he's like. You're slow to anger, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Moses stands in the breach for his people, he stands in the gap. He's an intermediary between God and them. Moses is concerned about God's name being honored. He didn't want the other nations to speak bad of God. Well, he couldn't bring them out. That's why. When we complain in our lives, we're dishonoring God's name to those we're complaining to. Of all people, Christians should be full of joy and thankfulness and contentment. I'm telling you, it's it's evangelistic. And it's the opposite when we go to, hey, did you hear what that dummy said? Or complaining about you fell in the bike. What is it that you complain about? Moses' prayer here is an example. God says he's ready to destroy this people. Moses prays that the Lord will forgive the people, and Moses' prayers are effective. God forgives them. So did God change his mind here? He said he's going to wipe them out, and then he forgives them. Do we see inconsistency here? Of course not. God never changes. God makes good on both promises. Instead of wiping them out right now, he wipes out, all of these grumblers over the next 40 years and kills them in the desert. They do not go into the promised land. Except for a few. They die, and in order to keep his promise, God brings their children into the promised land. (laughs) Verse 20. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of those who spurn me see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him the land which he entered. And his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. God praises Caleb specifically. And a few of the faithful. It's very difficult to persevere and stand for the truth when the whole world seems to be against you. It's easy to gossip and to speak bad about other people because we have open ears, right? Sometimes we have the open ears of the bad gossip. I'm going to butcher the quote, but if there is an end to itching ears of gossip, Then it would put an end to gossip. You think about that. It takes faith to be Caleb, to be Joshua and Moses here. It's a gift from God to stand up and to fear God, not fear man, and to persevere when everyone's raging against you. Verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation that is grumbling against me? Verse 35, I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they will die. God called his own people evil. His chosen people. Verse 36, As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. So right then, they're wiped out. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. 2 Corinthians, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Paul tells us of a sorrow that leads to repentance and a sorrow that leads to death. The people here have a sorrow of the world that leads to death. They simply do not, we're going to see what they do here as we finish. They simply don't receive the punishment of God that he placed on them. It wasn't our fault. It was the circumstances. You don't know the life that I have. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my roommates. It wasn't our fault. It wasn't me. I didn't do anything wrong. Explain to me how I'd, we turn into lawyers all of a sudden. For some of us, it's just our habit to look as if we're obeying God, to make it look like we're doing his will, when in fact we're doing the opposite. What does God require of us? Sacrifice or obedience? Obedience. He wants obedience. It's easy to offer sacrifice. Well, I sinned, and I'm going to act really, really sorry and sad about it, and then God will accept me because he sees my tears. I abandon my family, but I'll donate a bunch of money to church. Then God will accept me. God wants our obedience. If you had this talk with your kids, The proof is in the pudding, whether the kids will actually obey us or not. Whether we'll actually obey God or not. So after God's sentence, are the people finally humbled, and do they stop rebelling? Wrong. Finally, in verse 39, when Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. They were crying. When... uh, we would discipline Adelai. You're going to mess your first one up. It's just how it's going to be. We were disciplining Adelaide. She would cry. Oh. And eventually I caught on to the game. He said, Adelai, I am not impressed with your tears. I'm impressed with your obedience. Do what dad and mom tell you to do, and we won't spank you. In the morning, however, verse 40, they rose up early. Oh boy, here they go. Discontent with just receiving the punishment, now they're going to take matters into their own hands. Rose up early in the morning, they went to the ridge of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We've indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. But Moses said, Why then are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord when it will not succeed? Do not go up, or you'll be struck down before your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword. Inasmuch as you have turned back from following the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country, Neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. How about you? Pray that God will show you how you're discontent. Pray that God will stop you when you complain, both up here and with this. What did you complain about last week? Food, grades, school, dad, mom, husband, wife, roommates? I don't have this. I should have that. Christians are thankful. Christians are content. Let's be a thankful and a content people. And the people will know we are Christians by that. Let's pray.